Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 1 Kings chapter 22 from the World English Bible. They continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. In the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. The king of Israel said to his servants, You know that Ramoth-Gilead is ours, and we do nothing and don't take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. He said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle to Ramoth-Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first for Yahweh's word. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and said to them, Should I go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or should I refrain? They said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Isn't there here a prophet of Yahweh that we may inquire of him? The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of Yahweh. Micaiah the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Jehoshaphat said, Don't let the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Quickly, get Micaiah the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes in an open place at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. Zedekiah the son of Chenaanah made himself horns of iron and said, Yahweh says, with these you will push the Syrians until they are consumed. All the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for Yahweh will deliver it into the hand of the king. The messenger who went to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, See now, the prophets declare good to the king with one mouth. Please let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak good. Micaiah said, As Yahweh lives, what Yahweh says to me, that I will speak. When he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, Shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? He answered him, Go up and prosper, and Yahweh will deliver it into the hand of the king. The king said to him, How many times do I have to adjure you that you speak to me nothing but the truth in Yahweh's name? He said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. Yahweh said, These have no master. Let them each return to his house in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Micaiah said, Therefore hear Yahweh's word. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne and all the army of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. Yahweh said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? One said one thing and another said another. 
a spirit came out and stood before Yahweh and said, I will entice him. Yahweh said to him, How? He said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. He said, You will entice him and will also prevail. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, Yahweh has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, and Yahweh has spoken evil concerning you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Cheanaah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did Yahweh's spirit go from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Behold, you will see on that day when you go into an inner room to hide yourself. The king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. Say, The king says, Put this fellow in the prison, and feed him with bread of affliction and with water of affliction, until I come in peace. Micaiah said, If you return at all in peace, Yahweh has not spoken by me. He said, Listen, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah went up to Ramoth-Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into the battle, but you put on your robes. The king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the thirty-two captains of his chariots, saying, Don't fight with small nor great, except only with the king of Israel. When the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, Surely that is the king of Israel, and they came over to fight against him. Jehoshaphat cried out. When the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. A certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of the armor. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn your hand and carry me out of the battle, for I am severely wounded. The battle increased that day. The king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out of the wound into the bottom of the chariot. A cry went throughout the army about the going down of the sun, saying, Every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. They washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood where the prostitutes washed themselves, according to Yahweh's word which he spoke. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, and the ivory house which he built, and all the cities that he built, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was thirty-five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty-five years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. He walked in all the way of Asa, his father. He didn't turn away from it, doing that which was right in Yahweh's eyes. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he fought, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? The remnant of the Sodomites that remained in the days of his father Asa, 
he put away out of the land. There was no king in Edom, a deputy ruled. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold, but they didn't go, for the ships wrecked at Ezion-Geber. Then Ahaziah the son of Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in his father David's city. Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight, and walked in the way of his father, and in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, in which he made Israel to sin. He served Baal, and worshipped him, and provoked Yahweh, the God of Israel, to anger in all the ways that his father had done so. That is the end of chapter 22. If you had any doubt that the king of Israel here is Ahab, that is cleared up in verse 20, during Micaiah's prophecy. But the point seems to be to emphasize the roles here, as King Ahab appears to regret his detente with the Syrians and some lost land to them. In 1 Kings 4.13, it mentions Ramoth-Gilead from as being one of the places that um, one of King Solomon's officials manages from. And then it is mentioned again in 2 Kings 8 that it's still being fought for. Ramoth in Gilead is also spoken of as a city of refuge in Deuteronomy 4.43. First Kings 15.24 is where we hear of Asa's son Jehoshaphat becoming king. Jehoshaphat is a fairly common name in the Bible. Recall there was a Jehoshaphat son of Ahilud as King David's recorder in 2 Samuel 8.16, and he apparently, the same Jehoshaphat, apparently continued to work for Solomon as he is mentioned in 1 Kings 4.3. Then in this same chapter, verse 7 of 1 Kings 4, uh, another Jehoshaphat is listed as an official over a region that is supplying palace provisions. Then 2 Kings 9 tells of a different Jehoshaphat involved in one of Elisha's prophecies regarding the next king of the northern kingdom. And then in Joel chapter 3, twice the valley of Jehoshaphat is mentioned. It is curious to see the northern and southern kingdoms of what was originally Israel allying themselves. It seems like throughout the narrative, sometimes Yahweh is okay with it, but other times we will see it is definitely disapproved of and there are consequences. In this part of the account, King Jehoshaphat is actually being a good influence on King Ahab, asking for Yahweh's guidance and leadership. However, King Ahab tries to sidestep the request because the nearly 400 prophets that he summons are not hearing from Yahweh. They are yes-men, masquerading as prophets, and King Ahab seems to like the charade. King Jehoshaphat is not fooled, and I wonder how he knew exactly. It is a little strange that King Ahab says there is yet one man who he could call who would prophesy for Yahweh because we know Elijah is still around. It's just that that's not who King Ahab mentions. Possibly he was the only one that King Ahab knew how to easily send a message to. We'll see some hint of that later. And apparently Jezebel has taken a break from killing all the true prophets. But again, we see King Ahab hating those who speak truth. 
And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be evil or trouble for him if he would just follow Yahweh's ways. King Jehoshaphat's response indicates that he doesn't think King Ahab has the right attitude. So it is in verse 9 here that it supports the idea that they could summon Micaiah quickly. But while they're waiting, the false prophet Zedekiah tries to up his game. He seems to think his influence may be at risk, and rightly so. So he ridiculously parades around with horns, saying more false things. It seems like he's trying to mimic the powerful visual prophecies that Yahweh sometimes sends by real prophets, but this is all of his own making and acting. In verse 10, it talks about the king's thrones like they're fairly transportable. Maybe they just had one for traveling. Then in verse 13, why do you think the messenger tried to get Micaiah to agree with the false prophets? No one likes to be around a grumpy king. Sometimes the messenger, the bringer of bad news, suffers. And Micaiah's response to the messenger does not beat around the bush. He will only speak what Yahweh says. Yet when he first speaks to King Ahab, he toys with him, but only because he knows King Ahab knows it. Then how weird that King Ahab hates him for the truth, but still demands it. Lies never truly satisfy. And so Ahab does get the whole descriptive prophecy about his death. We talked before about this presentation of Yahweh sending an evil spirit, in this case a lying spirit, when we talked about it with King Saul. First, this heavenly scenario reminds me of Job. It seems there are, for reasons kept completely from us, ungodly spirits allowed in the presence of God in the heavenly courts, and they are looking for permission to harm people, and God allows them to entice people sometimes. Two, God does determine some things. King Ahab had his choices, which were to live wickedly, except for the humility of the last chapter. And as a result, God has determined justice. Three, it's not exactly a lying spirit when Yahweh has told King Ahab all about it, not from Yahweh's or King Ahab's perspective. By the example of the last chapter, if King Ahab had repented and humbled himself, asked for mercy, Yahweh would have met him there. We can't say exactly how that would have changed things since there is this whole responsibility of a king representing God's people, as God explained to King David after his sin with Bathsheba and murdering Uriah. But certainly King Ahab would have gotten some measure of mercy and definitely personal forgiveness had he but asked. Before King Ahab even answers Micaiah, the false prophet Zedekiah hits Micaiah across the face. This reminded me of John 18.22, where the temple guard did that to Jesus. And then Micaiah basically responds to Zedekiah's comment, the thing that Zedekiah said when he slapped him, saying that uh, Zedekiah could think about that more when he was hiding. When King Ahab put Micaiah in isolation on survival rations until he came back, Micaiah points out the weak point of that plan. He also tries to speak to the rest of the people in general to help them avoid their scattering in battle. And then King Ahab tries to thwart the prophecy of God. You just have to shake your head at him. He really isn't paying attention. He's avoiding seeing what's right in front of his face. I also wonder why King Jehoshaphat continues with him at this point. And as I was doing research, I found that David Gusick directs us to 2 Chronicles 18.31, where apparently 
Jehoshaphat is reproved by God. And then in 2 Chronicles 19.4, where King Jehoshaphat seeks God more diligently. Now, this arrow may have been random as far as the shooter thought, but God knew where it was going. And so King Ahab bled to death in his kingly chariot watching the battle. Sounds like it was a rather slow death. And I wonder if in those last moments he thought to humble his heart before God. It was his last chance. Next, it says the dogs licked his blood near the pool of Samaria. Keep in mind that Samaria is a region, and this is not necessarily right by the city of Samaria. I tried to look up on a bunch of maps where this supposedly is, and some people think they still know where it is. And it seems like it is very close to Jezreel. Now, I went back and looked at chapter 21, and so even though Naboth's field was in Samaria by the palace, Naboth apparently lived in Jezreel. So when they took him out to stone him, it was somewhere around there. So there's no reason to think that the prophecy wasn't actually completely fulfilled, as again, some people claim. It reminds me of the prophecy about a later king not seeing Babylon, but another prophecy saying he would go to Babylon. And then if you look at what happened, he went with his eyes gouged out, so he didn't see it. We are always best off assuming that God's word means what it says and pray that our understanding will be expanded but always remembering, despite the complexity of some details, the gospel is clear and simple. God's grace is available to us through the blood of Jesus if we, by faith, accept his gift. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 